Welcome to the Institute for Person-Centered Care podcast. My name is Ann Garten, and I am your host today. And I'm here today because we are recording from all over the world. We have folks from all over the world. And we are here to talk about December 1st, marking the 34th annual World AIDS Day. And I'm excited to have with us experts from Zimbabwe, UK, and the US to discuss the challenges and successes from the last 34 years in advocating, treating, and supporting those impacted by HIV and AIDS. According to the World Health Organization and UNAIDS, approximately 38.4 million live with HIV today. The goal of World AIDS Day is to equalize through education, improve access to care, advocate for improved policy and practices to tackle stigma and exclusion faced by people living with HIV. But first, let's start with introductions. And I'm going to start with Titsi Manera Panduka. She is a pharmacist and is based right now in the UK. Welcome. Thank you very much. Like uh, has already been said, I'm Titsi Monera Penduka, a pharmacist by profession, but I've been largely employed in academia over the last 15 years. I'm happy to be here to share my experiences with everyone. Excellent. And Tissy, I understand too that you are actually accredited from the American Academy of HIV Medicine as an HIV pharmacist as well, correct? Correct. So that's a challenge I took on in uh, 2020 because I just started uh, practicing as a pharmacist in the local teaching hospital. So I just wanted to raise uh, the standard, see if what we're doing was globally, how it compared globally. So I then took up the challenge to study for that exam and um, I qualified in January 2021 and the experience has been really useful for me in implementing some of the initiatives that we did at that clinic to improve quality of care. Excellent. Also with us today from Zimbabwe is Anamor Mutisi. Welcome, Anamor. Thank you so much, Anne. It's good to be here. My name is Anamor Mutisi. I'm a medical doctor by qualification and also a public health specialist uh, that's based and working in Zimbabwe. Uh, currently, I'm working for Zimbabwean Association of Church-Related Hospitals, or for short, it's called ZACH, and we're implementing an HIV prevention care and treatment project here. Excellent. Thanks for joining us. And last but not least, in the States, on the East Coast, we have Jessica Posner. Welcome, Jessica. Hi. I'm so pleased to be here. Yep. My name is Jessica, and I currently serve as the Strategic Information Lead for JSI's HIV and Infectious Disease Center. And I'm also pleased to lead our person-centered care portfolio. For those of you who don't know JSI, it's an organization that works in the U.S. as well as internationally, and we have about 300 HIV or infectious disease programs in over 70 countries. Excellent, and welcome. Thanks for joining us. Culture, politics, research, and so much more makes an immense contribution in supporting health promotion and understanding an illness. And we're all here from around the globe, but I suspect you all work collectively in similar ways to empower communities, partners, and healthcare providers to reduce cases, improve treatment, and reduce stigma. Anna-Marie, with your work currently, I wonder if you can share a little bit about that and how that connects with this. Hi, thank you so much, Anne. Um, so as I highlighted before, I work for the Zimbabwean Association of Church-Related Hospitals. So we work with, you know, church uh, hospitals and clinics. Uh, we have a project that we are, you know, running for HIV prevention, uh, care and treatment, which supports 75 sites 
across uh, four different provinces in Zimbabwe, and we also have seven uh, community outreach posts that are in uh, our capital city in Harare. So this is a PEPFAR-funded uh, CDC-supported project. Um, essentially, what it's doing is really bringing services to all of our, you know, HIV po- people living with HIV, pos- uh, living with HIV, um, and it brings, you know, HIV prevention services. Uh, it brings HIV, you know, testing services, um, and as well as care and treatment services uh, at the facility and also within the communities uh, surrounding the facilities that we're working with. So that's essentially the work that we are doing as such. Excellent. That's a lot of work. <laughs> and I think some of our listeners that are stateside will wonder, well, how does that relate to us here? And I want to share that that same work is happening in our communities and even here in the Quad Cities. Tizzy, I wonder if you would share a little bit from your end. Thank you. So, um, like I said, I've been uh, largely employed in academia, and my work with uh, UZIT uh, involved uh, teaching and research in HIV. So, on the research side, I'm mainly interested in how HIV interacts with um, herbal medicines in terms of treatment. And uh, in terms of teaching, I've also taught uh, the different uh, healthcare professionals in HIV pharmacotherapeutics. So, that is um, the antiretroviral drugs and how as healthcare providers we should uh, dispense and manage people in HIV care. And the University of Zimbabwe is actually the largest university which trains healthcare professionals and we also have a teaching hospital which runs uh, I think the second largest treatment program for HIV in the country. So in my experience I've had uh, an opportunity to look at HIV issues both from the treatment side, from the research side, as well as uh, training healthcare professionals who are involved in managing HIV, people living with HIV. So I'm going to explore that a little bit, Titsi, in that I'm interested in hearing more of the herbal medicine piece because that's part of that person-centeredness, right? And we know that folks, we we have evidence that shows us what are some best practices around medicine and and what have you, but we also know that people have choices and uh, want to try these things. And I wonder if you could pull in that a little bit of what does that look like for folks and, and why why as providers are we concerned about the use of which use of herbal medicine and and that sort of thing? Sure. So my interest was actually came from observing um, that even after a lot of people had access to effective HIV treatment, they still continued to use herbal medicines. And it's for a variety of reasons, including managing some of the side effects of antiretroviral therapy, but also treating other comorbidities that they have over and above the HIV. So um, initially, as a healthcare system, the approach was mainly to have a very hard stance, tell patients not to use herbal medicines. And it seemed from the practice side, the patients would tell the healthcare providers what they wanted to hear. If the nurse or the doctor asked if they are taking any other medications, including herbal medicines, they'll be quick to say no because of that stance. But from the research side and some work we've done supporting the HIV uh, support group at the teaching hospital, people living with HIV will then disclose they were more comfortable because these were not their regular healthcare providers speaking to them. So that's when we realized that it's important to take into consideration what each and every patient 
sees as feasible in their situation. Perhaps there is pressure from the family to try herbal alternatives, or maybe in their own experience they know that perhaps garlic, for example, has helped settle some stomach issues and the like. So patient-centered care helps us to have a neutral approach and establish rapport with the patient so that we know what is happening with them and they are comfortable to come to the healthcare professional to explain exactly what's going on with them so that in the end, when they are now on their own, they are able to co- uh, adhere to their medications and adhere to what the healthcare provider uh, expects from them. Anna-Marie, I believe you probably would love to link in here and share something. Oh, definitely. I actually was uh, wanting to say, you know, um, we also experience um, some of the same issues that um, Titi raised. And what we have done is that uh, in our approach is we work with faith leaders, we work with traditional leaders, um, and we go into, you know, each and every various sector. And we hold, you know, for example, community dialogues where we get to really interact with our patients, with leaders, with community leaders and traditional leaders as well to really hear their perspective and to really understand the kind of services that they expect. And, you know, just to also, you know, in be inclusive of, um, you know, some of the needs that they have and really make it patient-centered um, by really understanding where they're coming from. For example, yeah, like Titi highlighted, you know, there's a need for, for some of the clients to take some of the herbal medications or herbal um, treatments. Um, so what we do is try to bring it in together, um, you know, by, by sitting down and having these discussions. And then we, we also get that platform to be able to share why, uh, you know, remaining um, on art is very important, the benefits of it and what it does. And then also encouraging how they can, you know, combine some of the, for example, eating healthy, you know, they can include some of these um, herbs in their dietary that's, you know, to a healthy limit to also then, you know, boost their immunity. We sort of teach them how we can, you know, bring it together rather than for them to just focus on taking maybe the herbal uh, medicines only without then, you know, having their ARV treatment um, also being uh, part of their package. This is how we also tackle it from that end because we understand that, you know, there's also that cultural factor. There's also, you know, community sayings and people's beliefs that also come, you know, as part of their package of care. So we also try to address it, even when it comes to, you know, the especially the religious side of it, you know, when people believe um, that, you know, if after a, a while being on, on art or being on treatment, that, you know, it can disappear, for example, that HIV will no longer be um, in their systems. We really try to, you know, teach them about viral load and really make them understand how HIV in the body, um, you know, works and how the viral load is, you know, interpreted and how they also should understand the longevity of HIV and the need to be on treatment and how adherence then helps to, to, to you know, just improve their health. So we, we, we collaborate with our patients on it and try to really bring their um, ideas on board and also bring our, um, you know, ideas and merge them together just to create a very comprehensive package of care that, you know, listens to what our patients need. 
I think I'd love to pull in as well the necessary part of the uh, recognizing the stigma and the mental health needs of the folks under under this care. And in here locally, our organizations that support uh, folks with HIV and AIDS are so fantastic at that in in being very open and welcoming and uh, very leveled. Like everybody in the organization and the patient are at the same level and it's conversation. It's everybody bringing their expertise, including the individual that lives with this, so that they are the expert of their own body. You know, actually, Anne, that's where JSI was first introduced to Zatch, was through um, a pilot for um, integrating mental health into HIV work. And we just had such a great um, experience working with them. Um, the pilot turned into a standard operating procedure, which the Ministry of Health now uses to integrate um, men- mental health into HIV care and treatment. And really taking the approach that Satch does, that a person comes to the clinic, not just as a person with HIV, but as a member of their community, as a family member, you know, as an employee, and all of these different hats and roles all influence their experience at the clinic. And then, of course, how they interact and take their medicines outside of the clinic. So just a nice, a, a nice connection between JSI and Satch there. Excellent. Thanks for sharing. And I think a lot of that work then is correlated across the globe. That's why it's it's World AIDS Day, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think a little bit we we touched on the operationalizing the person centeredness with this pa- with this patient population, but I wonder if anyone has anything they want to add to that from the perspective of the teaching and training side. Because I, uh, I think we didn't uh, go into that in detail. So I like um, uh, Dr. MTC. She's saying that uh, they have quite an open approach to patients, which is very good, and that some of the work that we've tried to do from the university side. Like I said earlier, traditionally, there was a very hard stance. So some of the programming that we've been doing, mainly in interprofessional education and collaborative practice, is to teach healthcare professional students and to train early career healthcare professionals and pre-service trainers that patient-centered approach is the way to go and the advantages of patient-centered approaches to, to care. We've got a number of programs, uh, collaborative programs that are going on on interprofessional education and collaborative care. And one of the key competencies that we are teaching is patient-centered care. So we are really hoping with the younger graduates coming into practice, there'll be a greater understanding, a more widespread and acceptability that the patient's voice matters when you are treating a patient. If you speak at the patient, they can just be agreeable with what you say, but when they go home, perhaps what you're saying is not feasible. So we have to hear issues from their side so that, like Dr. Tamtisi said, we have a common understanding and the goals of HIV treatment are sort of collaboratively Uh, So I just wanted to highlight the programs uh, on the teaching side as well that are pushing that common understanding and raising that awareness of the benefits of patient-centered care. I love that theme in that when you sit a patient down or an individual down and ask them to tell you their story, there's so much more that comes out and that you can understand 
to then approach treatments in a way that will work for them, right? Right. That's so true. And and I think we all, all of us as providers, you know, myself as a nurse and, and you all as providers as well, that, that doesn't always come innate. And, and sometimes in our education, we've unlearned that if we were good at it. So that is one of the things that we work here at St. Ambrose University is pulling that thread of person-centeredness and person-centered care throughout the interdisciplinary team and how is it that by engaging that patient at that level you end up with improved outcomes. Titsy, I just want to check because we can't see each other. Do you have anything to add? Um, so is this towards is this rounding up? On the operationalizing? Oh, okay. I've got something uh, to, to add on. Okay. Mm-hmm. I could maybe just add that You know, I think there's this general consensus, as we've all sort of discussed, that we want our patients not just to survive, but to really thrive, right? So not just achieving viral suppression is necessary, but it's not a, shouldn't be our end game. Right. Um, And we really want to help our clients achieve optimal quality of life and think about them as complex beings that we know and complex social systems that they live in. And I think there's this general recognition that person-centered care is the way to go, but like, what does person-centered care mean? Uh, How do we do it? How do we do it consistently? And how do we kind of measure it? And so that's sort of one of the things we've been working on is looking across our programs, but also across the evidence-based and the kinds of and different programs like Satch and others, what has been working? And then how do we sort of develop implementation guides so that people can, you know, who are doing this kind of work know that they're moving in the right direction. And so that's one of the things that we hope to contribute is framework, a tool, a set of metrics to help us think about person-centered care, but also not just for the patient, but to hold ourselves accountable to to delivering person-centered care. I completely agree, and that is the work of our Institute for Person-Centered Care as well. And For providers who are listening and may be listening for the first time, we actually have a toolkit available on our website that links to um, best practices within the actual profession, but also amongst the interdisciplinary team, and and mm-hmm. always looking for those types of resources to share uh, and, and, uh, inter- and implement, and know that sometimes we're going to be successful in those, but also learn from those instances that we need to better understand that framework, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think people can get, at least in the work that we do in the international space with really low resources, people can get, you know, kind of dissuaded and like that's, that's not realistic here, but we're finding that there's some really low cost and some really important interventions that um, that are documented, that have the evidence base behind them. And so we're um, happy to sort of be working towards collecting and inventorizing them <laughs> for the greater community. Love that. I wonder if anyone... Yeah, and I, and I, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, I just wanted to jump in and um, really support what Jessica was saying in terms of that there's some low-cost um, interventions that, you know, have really been working. Um, you know, we've been trying as, 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 as a country in Zimbabwe to really, you know, constantly evolve how we're, you know, offering, you know, the comprehensive HIV 
um, you know, prevention care and treatment package to, to our clients. And, you know, really um, understanding what it takes to, you know, implement like a successful, you know, client-centered program. And there's a lot that goes into it, but Zimbabwe has really been, um, you know, doing well in some of the areas. For example, multi-month dispensing of medications. Um, we really try to make it as convenient as possible. Um, and I think this was expedited during the COVID-19 era, uh, where we really um, saw the, the, the benefits of, you know, giving clients, you know, three-month MMDs, um, six-month MMDs, where they didn't have to constantly visit the facility. Um, you know, we have outreach programs that go within the community. For example, if we've got, you know, clients clustered, you know, around a certain area that's hard to reach and that's a bit far from the facility, we, you know, schedule their appointments and have outreach programs, a team that goes out um, and really, you know, gives them all the services they need, you know, from viral load, sample collection to art refills and any, you know, psychosocial support that they may need um, or any linkage to any, um, you know, social services um, that they may need. Uh, we also have been implementing DSD models. I think it's been about six or so years now, five, maybe six years, uh, when they really piloted, um, you know, differentiated service delivery models that, you know, include fast tracking where clients don't have to spend so much time at the facility. They just come, you know, get their art refills. Um, so long as they're stable, you know, we've got a criteria that they have to be on art for at least six months. They have to be, you know, stable and um, without any other, um, you know, or, um, opportunistic infections. So we've got, you know, uh, CARG, uh, which is, you know, a community art refill group where we have, I think this is also, you know, connecting with the economic situation where we have a group that lives within the same village or same area and they select one member who they, you know, give the bus fare to to come and do the, you know, pick up uh, for the medication for all the clients. Uh, you know, we've got family art groups, we've got, you know, differentiated club groups, maybe sometimes for, you know, to attend to teachers. We've got ones for adolescents. Um, so that's, uh, those are areas that Zimbabwe has really been, I think, doing quite well, um, you know, in taking some of those initiatives um, and really trying to bring that service to be, you know, client-centered um, and really trying to see how they can, you know, get a client that fits a certain criteria in a certain um, differentiated service model. We've got a lot of, you know, clients who are very mobile. Um, as you know, we've got, you know, Zimbabwe centered around many borders and borders many of the SADC countries. And so we've got highly mobile clients. And we also do, you know, some of cross-border initiatives with Malaita. For example, we've got clients in South Africa, Zimbabwe. We can always organize, you know, relatives to pick up their artery fill whilst the client is away, maybe for a period of three to six months, and they get their medication, you know, through this Malaysia service. So these are some of the ways that we've been really trying to get the, you know, client-centered program to be, you know, very helpful to our clients and to really um, maximize on every triangle that we can to really provide services to, to our clients. I love that. And I think the other piece that's great for those that are, may not be treating folks with HIV is those lessons learned can be transferred to other chronic illnesses and, and disease processes, right? And and so understanding the, the person-centeredness approach and and looking and, and maximizing that for other treatments is also 
a great piece of, of our learning. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And, and we also make sure we integrate, you know, for example, uh, screening for NCDs, um, providing services where we make sure, you know, a pa- patient gets their blood pressure checked, their weight checked, their um, random blood sugar checked. Um, we also make sure we screen all of our clients, um, you know, for mental health, um, for intimate partner violence. Um, we, we, we really try to make sure that we have that integrated approach so that we cover all the bases and we link to, you know, OVC programs for often and vulnerable children. We've got dreams projects that, you know, are for adolescent girls and young women um, and for sexual gender-based uh, violence. We've got projects that also we link uh, our clients to if we see that they have the need for such services. I like the fact that um, there's a lot available uh, that has been highlighted but the key thing will be to contextualize, and I think Dr. Mtisi has really um, spelled out how Zimbabwe has taken the concept, but contextualized mm-hmm. it to Zimbabwe, the challenges that um, our own patients are, are facing. And just to add that, um, it will be important to continue to get feedback from the patients that we are serving, from the clients that uh, we are implementing all these initiatives and to hear back from them what they feel, are they feeling a change, um, uh, are there other things that we, that, that we can do? Because definitely the, the field is growing, there are a lot of initiatives, and um, it will be important from a strengthening the initiative's perspective to keep getting back and research and measuring to see how far we have come. That is yeah, so client, important. Client. That, oops, sorry, go ahead, Jessica. I was going to give a name to sort of what she was discussing, client kind of call them client feedback mechanisms, but ask mm-hmm. clients what's working, what's not working, and then really, in a, you know, not in a ad hoc way, but a pretty routine way where, and then really showing those clients that you're using the data and you're, as a, you know, as a provider, or as a clinic, you're feeding that back into your, to what you know and how you deliver services really just sort of builds that relationship too between clients and provider and can overall we even have evidence that that kind of trust can sort of reverberate through the health system so there's just it, it's another low cost a really important thing to have routine client feedback mechanisms and really show our clients that we're using that their input indeed you said exactly what our, where i was going so thank you <laughs> I'm going to check in, and, and does anyone have anything else they feel they want to, to pull in and, and in closing? I just want to say in closing that if there are healthcare professional educators out there or healthcare professional students out there, uh, there's so much that has been done. Get plugged in at a local level or at a global level uh, because each and every one of you has a part to play. So get the discussion on patient-centered care going. Let it become part of our vocabulary so that uh, we can continue to contribute to the objectives uh, that we're trying to achieve. Anna-Marie. Thank you so much. Uh, and I just want to really, yes, emphasize what Titi said and just, you know, really encourage that we already have a lot of groundwork that's been done in terms of uh, patient-centered care. We already have a lot of good strategies that are in place that just also need, you know, some strengthening and really some of the things that, you know, for example, at facility level, we've had feedback uh, boxes where 
each uh, patient has got access to and be able to, you know, give feedback to the facility. So let's continue to encourage, you know, clients to utilize such platforms and also continue to, you know, use the already existing methods and even other new methods to approach our clients so that we're able to really um, give them that, you know, uh, client-centered care. But, uh, yeah, there's already a lot of good work that's going. We just need to strengthen it and be able to really um, improve uh, the the client-centered program. Indeed. Jessica? I'm just really excited that the global and local HIV communities are increasingly supporting, sort of shifting to the focus of control to that person, to that patient, and sort of further demedicalizing the HIV response and sort of and supporting our people to live happy and healthy and fulfilled lives. So it's just an exciting time to be part of this world. I agree. I thank each of you, Titsi, Anamora, and Jessica, and I'm going to thank Dave at KALA today, too, because we just completed our first global podcast here at St. Ambrose, which is also pretty exciting for World AIDS Day. Thank you, ladies and Dave. Yes, thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Audio production for the Institute for Person-Centered Care podcast is provided by KALA-FM Studios in Davenport, Iowa. The show is engineered by Dave Baker. It is produced by Ann Garten, Director of the Institute for Person-Centered Care and Nursing Faculty at St. Ambrose University.